This is Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, where only one opinion matters, and it's not yours. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Well, the ashes are over, and Test Cricket's taking a little bit of time off for the next uh, few months, basically, uh, as everyone winds themselves up for the one-day World Cup, which is taking place in India in October and November. And there's a few things going on that are interesting in the fact that one-day cricket is now basically the poor cousin to Test cricket and T20 cricket, and yet suddenly, for the next couple of months, the whole world is going to be concentrating on one-day cricket. But after that, will they actually be playing any in the lead-up to the next World Cup in four years' time? Today we're going to be looking at three different stories going on in the world of cricket regarding this kind of stuff happening, um, and I hope that they will prove to be of interest to you as we move into an episode of The Casual Man Catter, right here on Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. On the back of the so-called success of Basball in the Test Ashes series against Australia, where England claimed the moral victory in the Ashes, tying the series 2-2, England are now focused on the World Cup coming up in India. And they've chosen their preliminary squad to go to that tournament. And the big talking point about it was the fact that they convinced Ben Stokes to renege on his retirement from one-day cricket to come back and play in the World Cup. And he has now been named in England's squad for the World Cup. Now, Matthew Mott, who was the Australian women's coach for a number of years and very successfully, has been the England white ball coach now for about 12 months. And there's been a fair lack of success for England in that regard in that time. So they've obviously looked at this World Cup and decided that they needed someone of Ben Stokes' stature in this team. Now, they did this for the Ashes. We know Jack Leach was injured uh, before the series began. And instead of deciding to pick one of the five or six reasonable spinners that they have running around in county cricket at the moment, several who have already got test experience, they decided to phone up Moeen Ali and get him to undo his retirement, and come back and play in the Ashes. Now, what I don't understand is what is the fascination with mediocre all-rounders? Because Moeen Ali came back for this series and at the end of the series re-announced his retirement from Test Cricket, saying he would not be going to India in January when England tour there for a Test Series next year. And he was fated by the team and by the supporters and by everyone in English cricket, as being a hero for the last series. Now, he averaged 25 with the bat, and he averaged 51 with the ball, taking seven wickets in those tests. So, by anyone's standard, that is a 
pretty average sort of series. If any other player from any other country had produced those figures, they would have been said to have played their last test for some time. But with England and with Basball, no, Moeen Ali was such an important part of the fact that they got the moral victory in the Ashes. And I truly don't understand it. And basically at the moment, England are going through a phase where they are picking their mates over form. And that's what's happened with Ben Stokes. You can see how that they would have been looking at this squad and thinking, what do we really need to lift this squad to try and re- retain sorry, the World Cup that they won four years ago? And they would have said, Ben Stokes, he is the talisman. He is the man we need to get back into this team to get us back on a winning track. And so who knows how hard it was to actually convince him to come back and play. But we all know he played in the IPL early this year and played as a batter because he couldn't bowl because of his knee. And he bowled just a few overs at the end. So the team that bought him has spent a whole heap of money on Ben Stokes for very little return. And of course he didn't bowl much in the Ashes for the same reason. He's got a bung knee and he can't bowl. And yet now we are taking Ben Stokes to the World Cup where he will play essentially as a batter and not as an all-rounder as he played in, in the last World Cup. And he is going to be the man who is going to help England bring back the World Cup once again. Now what happened to get him into that team? Well, this is what happened. Harry Brook, who is their rising star, their young gun, and in Test Match Cricket, looks to be the perfect guy to play white ball cricket for England. He comes in, he hits the ball hard, he throws his bat and his hands at just about everything, and he scores at better than a runner ball in Test Cricket. So why would he not be doing that in one-day cricket? And yet, in order to fit Ben Stokes into their team, they have left Harry Brook out of their team. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because Stokes is going to be a liability in the field. And Harry Brook is generally pretty good in the field. And yet, they've left him out. And surely, on the small grounds and the hard wickets over there, Harry Brook would be the perfect guy. But they've decided that Ben Stokes is far more important than an up-and-coming, young, rising star in Harry Brook. So, at the moment, England are doing things backwards. And they're claiming the fact that they are on top. And perhaps that's what it comes down to. Perhaps we're going to get to the end of this World Cup in November. And England are once again going to have found that, unfortunately, they have failed to raise the World Cup this time. Last time they won it on more boundaries. Yes, more boundaries is what got them over the line to win the World Cup last time. So this time, likely in India they will not be bringing the World Cup back to England. But perhaps they can claim the moral victory by suggesting that they will be playing the most attractive cricket and bringing all the old boys back with them to have a wonderful time while one of their best young prospects sits at home and considers what might have been, considering that he's probably been thinking about playing in the World Cup for the last two years. And maybe the next time England pick him, he might tell them, to show it up their backsides and maybe go and call Ben Stokes or Moeen Ali instead. Since the introduction of franchise T20 cricket, 
there has been speculation and concern over the fact that this kind of cricket could end up taking over uh, world cricket and pushing international cricket to secondary position. Now, most cricket lovers uh, you know, laugh at that, and I'm one of those people. I just can't believe that they will ever get to the situation where this franchise league T20 stuff could ever be as interesting as Test Cricket and International One Day Cricket. However, uh, the first signs of anything like that occurring are beginning to appear in South Africa. So this week, uh, just gone, the CSA Chief Executive, uh, Faletsi Maseki, I hope I've pronounced that correct, has deemed it that no players who are contracted to their T20 league, which is called SA20, um, will be allowed to tour New Zealand in February of 2024 with the test squad going there for a two-test tour. So any international players from South Africa who are signed up to that T20 league will be released to play for their test team that tours New Zealand for two test matches. Now, if you want to know how concerning that really is, firstly, let's think about the fact that all of the teams in that T20 competition, in that SA T20 competition, are owned by Indian Premier League franchises and franchisees. So separate franchises in the IPL all own these separate teams in the SA20 competition. So India is basically running South South African cricket's T20 domestic competition. And the kind of players who therefore will be unavailable include their test captain, uh, Temba Bavuma. Then you've got Markram, Rabada, Klassen, Vanderdussen, Ngidi, Jansen, Nortke, Maharaj. All of those guys are already signed to contracts and therefore, in this situation, will not be allowed to play in the Test Series. And there's likely to be more Test players who come up because they have uh, an auction uh, on September 27 for the rest of the South African players who are available to play, who want to play in that competition because obviously it it pays more than they're probably getting anywhere else. Now, apparently South Africa, Cricket South Africa, asked uh, New Zealand Cricket if they could change the dates of the test tour. And New Zealand Cricket, of course, have said no because they're already trying to sort out their domestic seasons and their international seasons as well. So this is what's been put into the calendar for um, test cricket over the next four years. This is the slot that was set up for this series to occur. So New Zealand said no. So South Africa, instead of what they did at the start of this year, so those of you who may remember the start of this year, South Africa was supposed to play three one-day internationals against Australia in January after the Test Series finished. And South Africa uh, asked for that to be moved, and it was refused, and so they forfeited all those three games. And that was a big thing at the time, not only because they decided to forfeit playing those matches in Australia, but also because it put them their spot in the World Cup in jeopardy uh, for automatic qualification. Now, they were fortunate enough to get through that, and they've done okay. But here we go again. South Africa, firstly, not, not like they're forfeiting one-day games, and now will not send 
their full-strength test team to New Zealand. And it's possible that it won't even be a second 11 that are going to play in that test series. Now, this is a major problem for South African cricket at the moment. Look, five years ago, remember when we had the Sandpaper Gate scandal with Australia and South Africa won that test series? Their test team was one of the best in the world. And that team was hard and it was tough and had such great players in it. And just five years later, we're in this situation. Now, everyone knows that South Africa toured Australia last season. And even though the series was lost 2-0 with the test in Sydney being washed out, you'd have to say that their bowling attack was just terrific. And with Nortke, um, Jansen, Ngidi, Rabada, and Maharaj as their spinner, that's a pretty good bowling lineup. Their batting is a bit weak at the moment, and they're still trying to rediscover that strength. But they're not going to get it playing in a T20 tournament in South Africa. It's even got former captain Dean Elgar, who at the moment is not playing in that and will probably be available to play in the test match and could well be captaining South Africa again in this instance. He's concerned about it, and Sean Pollock obviously has come out with saying this is a very concerning issue as well. Now, over the next four years of the test cycle, South Africa have the third lowest number of international fixtures in this cycle. The only teams that have less international fixtures over the next four years are Ireland and Zimbabwe, which means that even Afghanistan have more international fixtures than South Africa. Their big problem for many years was this Colpac uh, agreement that occurred with England where many of their players gave up playing for South Africa to go and get uh, full-time contracts in English county cricket because they were getting more money by doing that and it was a stable employment. Now we have a situation where their test team is going to be basically a second string team because the chief executive of Cricket South Africa has said that these test players will not be allowed to leave this competition. So there is a massive problem for South Africa at the moment in so many ways. And we know they have trouble with um, you know, being forced to select a certain number of players uh, of colour in their team in order to make sure that their team's look the right way, I guess is the best way I can put it. Um, and now we have a situation where all their players are expected to play in their home T20 series rather than play in an international fixture, and especially a fairly big series against New Zealand, who are one of the best teams in the world. So where does this leave South African cricket? At the moment, it leaves them in a very, very dodgy situation. And what is also as concerning as that is that it is the first um, tremor that we have where uh, a franchise T20 competition is seen as more important than an international tournament or an international series by a cricket country who are one of the main cricket countries in the world. So if one can get to this situation, is it possible that this could go to more countries down the track. And this is where problems are going to arise. Can South African cricket come back from the depths that they are currently in when it comes to all forms of international cricket? 
their one-day team, as we said, struggled to actually qualify for the World Cup. And at the moment, they don't look like being able to make the next stage of the World Cup if all teams were equal on the day. And their test team, as we've seen, has fallen to real troubled times. They've been beaten by Sri Lanka at home in a great series that occurred over there a couple of years ago. They can't win teams away. They used to be the toughest team on the planet to play. In Australia, they were almost unbeatable. Australia couldn't beat South Africa in Australia for years. And they always provided problems for India at home as well. And now they seem to be the easy beats. And if this is where they're going to go towards playing just T20 franchise cricket or enforcing their players for this four to six week period of forcing them to play in this tournament, then how do they recover from that? I don't know, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens and to see exactly uh, what team does tour New Zealand in February and then exactly what the rest of the world thinks about the way this is heading. One thing that is occurring in the next few weeks is Australia touring South Africa to play both T20 and One Day International Series. Uh, the T20 uh, Series, I think, is more a money spinner for Cricket South Africa. And, of course, the five One Days are being used as a lead-up to the World Cup, which starts in October. For Australia, it's going to be an interesting little month. Pat Cummins, Steve Smith and Mitchell Stark have now all pulled out due to injury. Um, which, given the cricket they've played, may well be a blessing in disguise. It gives them an opportunity to rest before all three will be involved in the World Cup in uh, in India. But it also means that we have several new players coming into the squad. One of the main things that's happened is that Mitch Marsh has been announced as the interim T20 white ball captain, and he will also be covering for Pat Cummins in the one-day squad. What I don't really understand is what has happened to Alex Carey in all this. Now, Alex Carey was captain a couple of years ago when Aaron Finch was injured, and he did a really good job and captained uh, calmly, and he also batted really well under pressure while he was captain. For some reason, they've decided to go with continuity on this tour and have the same white ball captain. To be honest... I can see why they would do that. But again, how much has Mitch Marsh done to earn this position in the team? Is it just that there is no one else seen to be of the right calibre to do this job? And Mitch Marsh has captain Western Australia for a number of years when he's been available through to injury or sitting on the bench for the Australian team. So his credentials, I guess, are there, but... Surely this puts even more pressure on him to try and perform in a situation when he's still, surely, trying to find his way back into the Australian team. However, he is the man who's had the job and he is the one who has uh, all the pressure upon him. If we just look at the T20 squad, this is where there's some interest for me at the moment. Not because it's T20 cricket, because that really isn't cricket at all, it's just entertainment. But it's where I believe the start of Australia's new era begins in all forms of cricket that is going to come over the next 12 to 18 months. So none of Pat Cummins, Steve Smith, um, Mitchell Stark or David Warner are in the T20 squad. 
So in their place are newish players in Tim David, Aaron Hardy, Spencer Johnson, and Matt Short. And they're all going to get their opportunity. And you can also add Nathan Ellis to that, who I think is a bit of a wild card and realistically could make his way into the one-day squad for the World Cup and could perform a role in India that none of the other pacemen who are chosen in that squad would be able to do. But these new guys coming into the team are exciting. And I think the fact that uh, someone like Spencer Johnson, who's just jumped out of the ground the last 12 months, hopefully he's going to be given a chance. Tim David, who more or less, I believe, has already said that he's not interested in really playing certainly test cricket for Australia, and perhaps is not even worried about playing one-day cricket for Australia, but he needs to try and knuckle down and get his spot in this team, because so far for Australia, he probably hasn't done the role that he's done for the franchise cricket around the world. Aaron Hardy is an exciting all-rounder, and there are a lot of all-rounders in this team already, but he's a guy who, over the last couple of years, has come out and done really well with bat and ball, and looks like a guy who is tailor-made for the white ball game at the very least. And Matt Short is another who has done amazing things for the Adelaide Strikers in the Big Bash, but also for Victoria in both one-day cricket and Sheffield Shield cricket. And he is a guy who really could, over the next 12 months, develop into an Australian player in all three forms of the game if he's given the right opportunities and given the right backing. The other guy in this team who I think probably needs to probably step up is Josh Inglis. He is the chosen wicketkeeper for this team. Uh, Alex Carey is not picked in the T20 squad. And he needs to come out and show that he can do what he's been doing domestic T20 level and do that at international level as well. Uh, he needs to show that his gloves are good enough to perform the roles in case, <coughs> excuse me, that Alex Carey does get injured in any form. Apparently at the moment he is now the next uh, keeper in line for that. Um, I know a lot of people have got uh, tickets on him and I'm yet to see him do enough to make me think that he's necessarily uh, the second best keeper in Australia. I think there might be other guys who you could probably give a go who would be uh, more solid in the role. But that's not to say he can't develop into that. This team also has some of the old boys here, obviously, with Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis. Uh, Ashton Turner's been drafted back in with Steve Smith um, being injured. But to me, it's the new names who get their opportunity and will be looking to filter through from the T20 game into the one-day squad over the next 12 months, and then hopefully even into the test squad. Because it's still a good way to come into international cricket through the games that perhaps don't have as much pressure on you and get some international exposure before you get that chance to walk out for Australia in a big game in an ODI World Cup or in a test match. And goodness knows, we need some fresh blood at all levels of cricket in Australia, uh, in our international squads. The T20 squad's finally getting that big bash sort of feel to it, which is what we should be doing with all these players who do well at the big bash level, given their chance to show their wares on the international stage. And then we need to get that filtered through to the one-day squad because 
it has a very old look about it now, very much a 30-plus look, and we need to start finding some young guys coming through into that team who will then flow on into the test team. But the rest of that discussion is probably for another day. Okay, that's enough out of me for this episode. Uh, thank you for tuning in once again. Uh, I hope you haven't been too bored with the cricket commentary coming through once again, which is always going to be the case with anything I do on this podcast. Um, if you're less inclined to listen to cricket and want to listen to something else, maybe I've got something coming up for you on the next episode. So in that case, I hope that you will tune in to the next episode of this wonderful podcast of mine, Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Until next time, cheers. You have been listening to a Metal Cavern production.